The world has been turned upside down. That's the reaction of criminologist Professor John Pitt in early August 2011 in response to the London riots. And that phrase, it it creates um, an idea of hooliganism, of being... um, going against society. And perhaps that brings into mind um, the events of, of our own province um, over the past years. But let me read to you the reaction of some of the Jews in Thessalonica when Paul and Silas were in town. In Acts 17, verse 6, the English Standard Version states, These men, Paul and Silas, who have turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason has received them and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king Jesus I want to challenge us today this morning to do the same to turn this world upside down And the Thessalonian believers here um, teach us how to do that. Paul calls them the model church. In the hugely important, bustling, economic and political center of Macedonia, that's Thessalonica, atheists were a very rare breed. Idolatry was rife. And this um, is why Paul and Silas were turning the culture upside down as they preached the gospel as ever god was at work and both jews and gentiles came to faith and became disciples of jesus and as is warned in in scripture they received persecution for it paul on behalf of silas and timothy these three men have all got emotional ties with the church with the believers there opens his first letter in a very traditional way and this section of thanksgiving whole of first or the whole of the the first chapter and it teaches us two elements and that we need to turn this world upside down it teaches us that we need to be changed by christ and it teaches us that we need to display that change so first of all be clearly changed by christ And that's um, verse 1 to 5 teaches us this. The personal relationship between the church and these three men explains the relaxed nature of the opening encounter. um, Paul doesn't even call himself an apostle, which he normally does in his writings. But Paul tenderly reassures the Thessalonian believers that they stand forgiven before God in his son, Jesus. And that's a, that's a crucial encouragement for this period of uh, persecution that they're going through. And Paul sets out this unbelievable standard when he states in, in verse 2 that Paul, Silas, and Timothy continually remember them um, in their prayers. And Paul here is, is talking of a persistency in prayer. Um, not not merely continuing or continually babbling, you know, in prayer like we're warned against in Matthew six, verse seven. 
But why is he persistently praying for us? That's the question. Um, Why is he persistently praying for these Thessalonian believers? Verse 3 is the key to our understanding of the whole passage. He states, we remember your, um, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians are marked by three things, by faith, by hope, and by love. Key Christian traits that are repeatedly taught in the New Testament. And it's amazing, in spite of the fact that they are a young, persecuted church, they are clearly demonstrating mature Christian characteristics. It's clear that they have been changed by Christ. They're showing faith. They have faith in Christ that he has taken their punishment, which is separation from God, on their behalf. And this has caused them to go and to do good works. Good works that are produced by faith. So often we get it mixed up, don't we? We think our good works earn our salvation. But it's the faith that these believers have in, the, in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return, which is causing them to do good works. And this is not um, some sort of airy-fairy kind of love that they're showing, you know, with hearts and cupids and chocolates and Valentine's Day. No, this is not simply an emotion. It's love that expresses itself in hard, strenuous, exhausting labor for others. If their love didn't prove itself in this way, it would be false. And they show hope. The source of their endurance is not some fanciful inner source of strength. It's hope in Jesus, in Jesus' return. Hope in Jesus, it's not some kind of fingers crossed kind of hope. It's a, a concrete confidence Rooted in Jesus, and he won't fail. This hope was visible. This hope could be seen as they persevered through the persecution that they were receiving from um, those around them. Faith, hope, and love are sure signs that we are changed by Christ. That these Thessalonian believers have been changed by Christ. And then the purpose of verse 4 here is not to to start some massive theological debate about election, but it's to encourage and to reassure these believers, their persecuted friends, that they are changed. This news would have been incredibly reassuring to the first century Thessalonian believer, some um, some of whom would have been Greek, Um, And their background would have had them used to appeasing gods to find favor. But here, they're reassured that they are chosen. They're chosen. And Paul explains then in verse 5 
how he knows the Thessalonians are genuine believers because of the gospel that was preached to them. Genuine, thoughtful, and faithful words from the preachers coupled with with confirmation through the divine work of the Holy Spirit. And the phrase deep conviction here, um, it describes the work of the Holy Spirit. It is full. It is complete. The work of the Holy Spirit is not lacking to change these believers, these Thessalonians. This is why they were thanking God. They saw a change in the Thessalonians from their idolatrous state to have faith in Jesus, producing love for others, working itself out in hope of eternal life. Likewise, we need to be changed by Christ, don't we? Let's look back at examples that have come before. We think of of someone like Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, considered one of the greatest Christian thinkers of all times. He was born in the 4th century, and at the age of 16, he left home. And basically, it is recorded for the next 16 years, he lived a life that was addicted to sex. But at the age of 32, God incredibly and miraculously intervened in his life and changed it, changed its course. And then God used him as one of the most influential beings in the history of the church. The Thessalonian believers were changed people. The only way that we can be changed is having faith in the gospel of Jesus. Not a gospel of good works or a gospel of strict religious traditions or even a gospel of of religious freedom. But by God's grace, we need to be changed right at the heart level by believing not some some man-made gospel, but the true gospel of Jesus. And what is that? God created man. Man sinned, which ruined that perfect relationship that he had with God. But God had a rescue plan that he would send a saviour, Jesus, fully God and fully man. Jesus would then take our punishment. And then we are called to place our whole faith in Jesus. That he has repaired that relationship for us. And it's nothing of ourselves. We've been singing that today. Nothing of what we do. And we live in, and we are called to live a life of obedience and repentance, continuous repentance out of love for Jesus. And that's the gospel. To some, it, it's old hat. It's, I've heard that before. And to some, it's brand new. And if that isn't where we place our faith to spend eternity with God, you must place it there. You must come to Christ to be changed. It won't happen of our own effort. But if that is where you place your faith, we can't rest. We must preach it to ourselves daily. Why? 
because we all fall into the trap of forgetting it, don't we? And if we don't, we will um, rely on, on our own good works or our own strict religious rules or even our religious freedom. By preaching, it's a, preaching ourselves to ourselves daily the gospel, two things will happen. We will run to God in repentance when we have sinned instead of running from him in shame when we realize that we can't run to God. And we will clearly display the change that has taken place in us through work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance that is inspired by hope, the hope of Jesus Christ. So secondly, verse 6 to 10 um, tells us that we have to clearly display that change that has happened in our lives. Verse 6 tells us how the Thessalonians did it. Paul describes them as imitators, imitators of the three missionaries, and more importantly, of the Lord, in how they accepted the message, weighing up the cost of following Christ and doing it regardless of the persecution, by the help of the Holy Spirit. We know from Acts 17, Paul and Silas dramatically upset towns and areas wherever they went. They were turning this idol-infested society upside down. They were preaching of a different king, one who is greater, one who has beat death and sin, one whose kingdom will never end. How do we know they turned the world upside down? Verse 6 tells us that the Thessalonians were experiencing severe suffering, opposition from those around them. And if the believers weren't preaching against the norms of the society, they wouldn't have received this opposition. They were displaying the change. In verse 7, Paul calls them, <laughs> Paul calls them um, the model church in their witness. And that's the only time in the New Testament he describes a church as this. Verse 8 continues that because of their model faith, the gospel rang out. Amazing. This young church in Thessalonica had a reputation everywhere. Now Paul exaggerates there, but he exaggerates to show the vast spread of the gospel. Not only in their area, but further afield. Paul, Silas and Timothy don't um, need to go and preach to certain areas because of the effectiveness of their witness. Verse 9 shows a measure of a successful witness. The believers in the surrounding area are able to speak of how the Thessalonians welcomed Paul, Silas and Timothy. Not only that, they accepted the message that they brought. More importantly, so clear was the Thessalonian transformation that people around the city report of how they turned from their idols. And that's true repentance, isn't it? That's a true change. Turning from your idols, abandoning the old way of life and displaying their new, changed affections. It's a radical reorientation of their existence. 
we also must display the change in our life. Others must see how we are different, that we love the creator God, not the things that he has created. By telling people of the king of kings, we will turn this world upside down. Paul concludes the opening um, of, of this, this letter um, by stating, They wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who, receive, or who rescues us from the coming wrath. And we celebrated that this morning in, in communion. But the believers here in Thess- Thessalonica were known for eagerly waiting for Jesus' return. The Greek here suggests patience or sustained expectation, completely trusting that Jesus will return. This patience comes from the discipline um, of waiting, the hope in verse 3 that we read of. Most, Most importantly, they wait for Jesus who was raised from the dead raised from the dead gaining victory over sin paying the price for not only the Thessalonian believers sin but our sin as well a comforting reassurance for these persecuted believers they now without power have this comfort that they will have the final victory that those with the power Now, the persecutors, their persecutors, will have to stand before the judge one day. Their God. So not only were the Thessalonian believers changed by Christ, but they displayed it too. Their changed lives were backed up by their actions. And we've seen that in the news recently, how devastating it can be when the declaration of who you are is not backed up. By, by your actions. Lance Armstrong gained a massive following as the world's greatest cyclist, insisting he didn't use performance-enhancing drugs. And when it was revealed that that was a lie, it destroyed his credibility. We must proclaim who we are, that's changed by Christ, and display it by the way we live. Our faith must obviously be in Christ. We must turn this world upside down by our faith. That works itself out in in our attitude to things like, like money, jobs, houses, health, positions in society. Because that isn't where our faith lies and our security. It's not there. It's in Christ and only Christ. And that means that our life isn't over when those things are removed. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? Our faith must also produce good works to serve and help others. And that's not just in easy, affordable ways. We must be radical in order to turn this world upside down. Why don't we give sacrificially, sacrificially to the work of the church, both here and in the mission field, far and wide across the world? Why don't we give, um, give up that really time-consuming hobby to, to maybe serve in church, to serve in a ministry? What about our house? How could we use that? 
Could we use that for the ever-increasing people who are becoming homeless? Could we use that to help them? Or could we prove to these pro-choice campaigners that life is precious no matter what stage it is at? And, and adopt the countless number of children who don't have parents to love them. And where is our hope? We must turn this world upside down by showing that our hope is in nothing other than Jesus' return. Not in government, not in a political party, not in a political stance, or armed forces, or bigger weapons, or even a flag. When these are removed, when these things, we must continue to stand firm, telling others of our hope in the return of the King of Kings. We must display all these things out of love. And if we don't, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, we gain nothing. So as we close, let's consider the simple Thessalonian model. Have you been changed by Christ? If so, are you allowing him through the work of the gospel to continue to change you daily by preaching the gospel to yourself? And how are you displaying that change? Are you turning this world upside down? Thank you. Nigel. Thank you very much, Gary, for sharing with us. I'm going to close our service now and we'll sing a song. Yeah, we're still there. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Is it possible to do, say, first and last verse, Ruth? Would that work? Yeah. Okay, so we'll do the first verse and the fourth verse of Oh, church, arise. So let's rise and sing.